With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, hello, hello out there listening audience. It's your girl, Barbara McGee, and uh, this is Straight Talk with the Hired Brush. And, you know, we just have had such a privilege uh, coming on live on uh, 225CL. I always like to invite you to go to the website, take a look and shop around and pick out some of your favorite artists and just see what T25CL has to offer. Now, we're coming live to you on Galaxy Talk Radio, and I have my co-host here in the penthouse, Mr. Rodney Bass, the wealth expert. Rodney, how's it been going? We're going very, very well. Let me give a big shout-out, say hello to all the listeners, and welcome back for another Tuesday of Knowledge. Absolutely, absolutely. And, boy, have we had got a wealth of knowledge. I tell you, it's been amazing. I mean, did you know uh, the Bloom Great uh, and Bay Area's own Hall of Famer uh, with the Blues, West Coast Blues Society passed away, and we give our condolences to his family. But he had a fantastic memorial service. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to have a good time in a memorial service, but that was the best memorial service I've ever been to. So I just wanted to say a shout-out to a friend of the show, uh, Ronnie Stewart, and the West Coast Blues Society for, for putting on a sure enough showdown, right? One of those down south, one of those down south uh, uh, send, send off. You pulled the party and you can't party no more. I, exactly. It was fantastic. I saw Terrible Bomb. I saw Nat Bolden. I saw Al Vaughn. I saw, I, I could just, conduct, Mike Skinner. Let me shout out uh, Lenny Williams. Uh, Danny Thomas of Confunction. Oh, man, everybody. It was so many famous VIPs in the house. There was no place to sit down. It was amazing. And then on yesterday at T25CL, I had the illustrious opportunity to go over to Channel 5, which is, uh, you know, KPX or rather CBS. We were the guests of the station and of our local anchors, and it was wonderful to be there, commiserate with them, and, and, and really get a a groundbreaking hold on how uh, technology is changing and how we have to change with the times. And we got to meet a lot of people from Facebook and Yahoo and Google and um, all the African Americans that have positions of power. Met the DA, met a lot of wonderful people. So I want to just give a quick shout out to them. And if anybody's interested, you can go to www.t25cl.com. And just take a look at some of the archive photos. You'll get to see a lot of our local greats and uh, folks that are doing things to make changes and make and, and making it more positive to be part of the Bay Area and in the living community that we have here. So I just want to say thank you to everybody and thank you to CBS and KPIX and my newsman, uh, 
Kim Dasvita for being so kind, and boy, the wine was great. I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Miss Monica Stewart. Uh, give me a call. I've got a great winery for you and your friends to take a tour in Paso Robles. So, anyway, it was fantastic. Next week, we're going to get together and have a little roundtable. So, everybody, you call in next week, 730. We're going to discuss it. Now, tonight in the penthouse, oh, I'm so excited. Rodney, I am overwhelmed. I have someone who is dear, very dear to my heart. I have someone who has always been studious from the moment that I first met him until now in trying to bring truth, trying to fill in the lines, trying to fill in the gaps in many of our history in terms of our ancestry. Now, it just so happens that he and I share a common bond, and what that is is being Native American and in the five tribes, and the one which we, of course, think is the best, that's the Creek Nation. And uh, he's coming live from Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's kind of late there. So let's get him on, Mr. Eli Grayson, historian and Hall of Famer for the Creek Nation, uh, coming from, to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Say hello to our audience. Well, I don't know if I can live up to all that. <laughs> <laughs> But I appreciate the smoke. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's what we're doing. We, we're, we're getting smoke signals out there. We have a great uh, opportunity in you uh, because you have been a vested individual that is very, very interested in genealogy and very, very interested in history and really just giving us the truth of who we are and how uh, that truth can empower you and affect you, and even how it can change your relationship with your government and with uh, people who have uh, recreated the history. So why don't you tell us, just give us a little backdrop, a little brief backdrop about the Creek Nation for those people who haven't heard of that, who are not quite familiar. Okay, Creek, most people have heard of the Creeks. The Creeks are... Originally a tribe uh, from Alabama, Georgia, Florida area that under the 1832 Removal Act of Andrew Jackson forced them out. They went to an area that was deemed Indian territory where they have to rebuild their tribe, rebuild their nation, rebuild their government, you know, from those who survived the trip. And here we are, you know, 200 nearly 200 years later, we're still a tribe. We're still in what's now called Oklahoma. Uh, but prior to that, it was the Creek Nation. And uh, that's the, you know, that's the short of it, you know. Um, I think, uh, you know, your reader, your listeners may want to, you know, the, the short of Indian history is just like in Europe. You know, you got a whole lot of white Europeans, but you have English, you have the French, you have the German, you have the, you know, the Italians, you have this, you know, people from Spain. They're white, but they're all from different nations. And in North America, you have the same thing. You have Indian people who were, you know, divided up into regions with their own governments, with their own way of living, 
just like in Europe, you know. But unfortunately, American history, uh, as taught in schools, they throw us all in one gumbo pot. And an Indian, that's Creek, is the same as a Cherokee, is the same as a Navajo. And the reality is we have different languages. We have different gods. We have different cultures. We're just different people that happen to be red. So that's, that's the short of it. I've got it. So um, I want to go back to this Indian Removal Act. So when you were talking uh, in your opening statement, you talked about uh, the President Andrew Jackson. You talked a little bit about this Removal Act. You're talking about the Trail of Tears, which many of us have read about in uh, in our history books, but we really didn't realize that there were several different tribes that were uh, moved uh, out of their homes, away from their wealth, away from their land, away from their their ties to the community, educated with their own language, and also educated in the English ways as well. And yeah. then were placed out in this godforsaken area and said, well, you can have this. Yeah. And, and the, you know, and I think you're referring to what's called the five civilized tribes, but they were not the only ones affected by the Removal Act. The Removal Act, though it affected the Creeks in 1832, it implied to most Indian tribes in, in you know, the United States that had to be moved to reservations. <laughs> so, um, and you know, and also, you know, the public needs to understand the the Trail of Tears, particularly for the Creeks or the Cherokee was a moment in time. It didn't define us, you know, but it's part of our history. You know, we we were here, you know, several thousand years before that happened, you know, and, you know, had an established culture, a language, everything, you know. And uh, so when the so-called Trail of Tears happened in the 1830s, well, for us, started in the 1820s, um, you know, it was just a moment of time that actually moved the majority of our members uh, from one part of, you know, the U.S. to another part of the U.S. But, you know, our nation, our tribe has always been more than land-based. It's been people-based, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just like you, Barbara, you're a citizen of the Creek Nation, you live out in California, you know, mm-hmm. but... You know, you are subject to the laws of the Muscogee Creek Nation, which is which is located in Oklahoma today. And if you get in trouble with the tribe, I can guarantee you that our court can reach out to California, California to deal with you. You know, and folks just don't realize that. You know, so um, you know, technically, when you got your citizenship, you you know. You you became a ward of the United States, which is what an Indian is. You know, though we now have American citizenship, um, prior to statehood, our people didn't. They had Creek citizenship. That was what they had. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, if, if they found out that you had pledged allegiance to the United States, they would have charged you with treason and locked you up in jail. You know, right. so <laughs> when Oklahoma became a state, and one of the conditions for statehood was that they give the members of the five civilized tribes, you know, U.S. citizenship. 
Unfortunately, it didn't apply to the other tribes in Oklahoma. It only applied to the five civilized tribes. The other tribes had to wait, I think it was 1927, before they received their American citizenship. You know, mm. so it's a very complex history, and you really got to tell it by tribe and uh, not by putting everybody in the same pot. That's when it gets confusing because people who are Cherokee, uh, you know, might think they do the same thing as Creeks or they enroll the same way as Creeks. They don't. You know, we have a different I... language. You know, we worship at one point different gods, you know, so, um, you know. That's, uh... Well, that's very interesting. We've got a caller. Let me see who's on the line. Um Caller, uh, hey, you're calling in on Straight Talk. Why don't you tell us who you are and uh, you have a question. Hello. Ah, well, it's Pastor Bob. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. And guess what? I'm so glad to hear one of the greatest men on the planet on your show. Mr. Did Eli, you hear my button? I, got, oh my I got to I got to butt him up. I got to butt him up. I know he's sharp and smart, but I just got to butt him up. Cause uh, what are you smoking, I, brother? I, 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 met, met him, I met him the first time down in Los Angeles. Oh really? Tell us a uh, little bit about at, that experience. Okay. And uh, he was down there. We he you talked. You mean at the gathering of the California Creek Indians? Yep. Okay. I, I'm standing there with a picture with you and all the different cousins and stuff. And then uh, I found out that we were cousins. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and after talking to him, he's such a beautiful person. And then I read it. I read everything he puts on the post. I read everything there. So I, I give you all the kudos, my brother. And uh, you're doing a great do- job, and, and you and my prayers daily. I mean, Jake. And I'm just not yes. talking about that, okay? And I'm hoping to see you uh, sometime this summer if I can get there uh, because we still have a lot of relatives right there in Oakmulgee, okay. a lot of relatives in Oakmulgee. So I plan to visit the home, and I have property still in Oakmulgee too. So I plan to visit the home, and I just remember so much about being there with my uh, grandfather who used to sit on uh, uh, tribal steps there on, I believe it's 6th Street, isn't it, in Oak Mug or 7th Street? I'm at the old council house. The old council house, yeah. yeah. And I, I heard that uh, the nation just purchased that not long ago. Well, about uh, it's been about six years ago. Oh, it was six years, okay. Yeah, we, we bought it back from the city of Okmulgee. It was actually a, a Okmulgee Historical Society. And mm-hmm. uh, the federal government forced us to sell that place in 1917. Cedar Creek Nation basically ended when Oklahoma became a state. And so the federal government took all our property that we owned in common. No one owned land individually in the Creek Nation prior to statehood. And that was the reasons for the allotments. The Creek Nation counter said, this is the domain of the Creek Nation, and these are the citizens that have been verified in the Creek Nation. And so they divided up the land, and they equally gave it out, 160 acres, uh, to each tribal member. 
And when it came to other assets, like the old council house where our government was located, they eventually sold it, and in this case, they sold it to the city of Okmuggie. And um, it took up until, I was in 1919, I believe, and it wasn't until uh, 2000, I believe 2009, when the Creek Nation actually bought it back, you know. So that was a big deal. That was a that was really a big because see the you know the council house is the last building tangible place that Creeks living today can go to and touch that still exists that wasn't destroyed by white Oklahomans or you know anybody moving to Oklahoma that just wanted to wipe out any existence of the pre of the tribe that was once there. Well, that building is it. That's the last place we have in the tribe that you can literally go put your hands on and say this was the center of the Creek government, you know, other than going wow. to a tombstone, you know. But that's it. Every every other building, you know, have been torn down. You know, they just wiped out any structures that were, you know, built after the removal up until statehood, other than that one building. Well, now, I have a question for you. Everybody, you're listening to www.225cl.com, and I'm your host, Barbara, uh, with Straight Talk with the Hired Brush, and we have my co-host, Mr. Rodney Bass. We have Pastor Bob, and then, of course, our special guest, uh, Mr. Eli Grayson, historian and uh, Hall of Fame uh, leader, of the Creek Nation, and we wanted we wanted to um, ask a question. Now the question is, what is the confusion when there's we kind of got the confusion about tribe to tribe, Cherokee to Creek, and the kind of hodgepodge that most people treat this, including our history books, kind of putting everybody in one lump bag. But yeah, what is well, the it's, it's, it's American education. You know, it's, it's, that's the reality. You know, it's the teachers in public schools or any, if even private schools, not teaching uh, real Indian history. And this is the reality. Tribes are political societies. They're not races of people. There's no such thing as a Cherokee race. They're a political society. They're no different than the country of Canada or Great Britain or France or Japan or Mexico. The United States sign treaties with nations. They don't sign treaties with ethnic groups or races, you know. So our treaties that we have with the United States is based on a government-to-government relationship. That's why tribes are sovereign. They call them sovereign nations, you know. So mm-hmm. in saying that, you can understand that France is different from Germany, then you can understand that the Cherokee Nation is different from the Creek Nation, and the Creek Nation is different from the Choctaw Nation, and the Choctaw Nation is different from the Navajo Nation, you know. These are tribal governments that existed, you know, prior to the Articles of Confederation, and, and the U.S., you know, basically couldn't get rid of them, you know, and the courts have sided with us again and again, and, you know, that's why we're still here. Right. So. My my question for you is, okay, so what is the relationship? Can you give us a little clarity in two minutes or less, if that's possible? What is the relationship with the freedmen 
because a lot of us have gone back in our family history, and if you ever do your genealogy or your ancestral heritage, you'll get back to a point where you'll see Creek Nation or Creek with a roll number, and then you might see, on the other hand, a freedman. Um, okay. What's the relationship All right. between blacks and uh, creeks? Okay. You know, just understand that the five civilized tribes were called civilized because they practice, you know, colonization. They practice slavery. They, you know, and they enslaved Africans. And matter of fact, some of the first families in America, in North America, that were sold into slavery was sold into those tribes, you know. And this is before the colonies, you know. This is when the Spanish was doing it. This is when the Portuguese was pushing slaves, you know, and Mm -hmm. the Italians, where they were trading Africans with those tribes in the Deep South. Well, one of those tribes happened to be ours, the Creeks. And the Creeks did own uh, or did practice uh, African slavery. And so... The term freedman is no different than the term freedman as it applies in the state. You know, you have the Freedman Bureau in Mississippi and Alabama. You know, the, the free slaves became freedmen. Where in the Creek Nation, the Africans that the Creeks owned became freed, you know, people too. And they were mm-hmm. called freedmen, but they were called, in our case, Creek freedmen, you know, instead of American freedmen. They were called Creek Freedmen. And, mm-hmm. and, and what happened was, you know, we can understand this very easily. When a, a black person in Mississippi who was a slave and was emancipated, uh, upon emancipation received uh, American citizenship. Well, imagine an African person being owned by a foreign nation, in this case, the Creek Nation. And so when they were freed, they became citizens of the nation that owned them previously. Like uh, African-Americans became American citizens, or, you know, uh, slaves that were owned by Americans became Americans. Slaves that were owned by Creeks became Creeks. And so, and it's the same way with the Cherokees and the Choctaws and so forth, you know, and mainly because, the Creeks didn't have American citizenship themselves. Why would their slaves get American citizenship? So mm-hmm. uh, basically what happened, uh, in short, uh, when the Civil War broke out, the Creek Nation allied with the Confederate States to protect this slave trade. Well, at least half the tribe did. Another half of the tribe said, no, we don't want to do that. So they allied with the Union. And those are obesely Yeholah's people and they went up to Kansas, and I'm sure you've read those stories about the Creeks migrating to Kansas during the Civil War. Well, yeah. um, there were Creeks who were slave owners, like the Graysons, my family. They were African slave owners, and they took their slaves down to Texas to protect their property, you know, because that's how they viewed their slaves, as property. And they didn't want their slaves running away, so they they would have to go catch them if they happened to win the war, you know, that type of stuff. So anyway, at the end of the day, the the Confederate South lost. So the Creeks lost the war. And so in doing so, the U.S. said because they had allied with the Confederate states, they needed, they had broke their treaty, their removal treaty of 1832, 
which mm. gave them the land and Indian territory. So upon the condition of surrender, the Creek Nation, like the Seminole Nation, like the Choctaw Nation, Chickasaw Nation, and the Cherokee Nation, the slave-owning tribes, they have to sign new treaties with the United States. And in our case, the, the treaty just stipulated that, you know, there would be no more African slavery. There would be no more human bondage in the Creek Nation. And the slaves that you own are now your citizens with all the equal rights in land, soil, money, whatever, as with the Indians, you know. So that's where that term freeman came about. And it's unfortunately that we still use that term today when, you know, black people in Mississippi don't use that term. You don't hear no black people in Mississippi saying they're freedmen. But in these Indian tribes, you still hear that crap, two hundred, you know, 150 years after the Civil War. And it's absolutely ridiculous, you know. And it's mainly because the tribes have basically found a way to get around that language of the treaty that gave these uh, former slaves rights, you know, by paying politicians in Washington, basically, and that's just the, the dang truth, um, to look the other way while they disenfranchised and then booted out their former slaves. And in our case, in the Creek Nation, that unfortunately happened in 1979. So, mm. Now, the reality is, do the Creeks still have black people in the tribe? Absolutely. Barbara, you're enrolled. You know, uh, um, I'm enrolled, you know. But they enroll you based on what's called Indian blood or by blood. And because you have provable, documented Indian Creek ancestry, you and your ancestors are on the by blood classification of the Dallas Rose, you're able to enroll. And in 1906, at the end of the those rows when they were being, um, you know, when those censuses were being made based on, you know, what I was talking about before, they looked at all the land of the Creek Nation. They said, we're going to divide it up equally, and everybody gets 160 acres. Those are right. all allotments, and that's what the Dawes Rose was about. Well, there's only one in the Creek Nation case. There's only one Dawes Rose. It just has two classification of creeks. One happened to be by blood, and one happened to be freedmen. Now, why Congress did that? I think they did it because they they saw that it was easy pickings to steal the black people's land faster than stealing the Indians' land, and mainly because they think the blacks in the tribe have to be less educated. You know, so mm -hmm. you know it was you know it was the conniving very deceptive um, thing that Congress did when they when they created those two classifications. And unfortunately, we're living with that today. And unfortunately, right. instead of people doing the right thing and saying, well, you know, we ain't got to do that. We're going to do the right thing, you know, and we're going to enroll these people because they were, you know, their ancestors were slaves, and then after that, their ancestors, their ancestors became, you know, very much a part of the Creek Nation, and we're going to recognize that and and you know and 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 do what's right. But that's not what's but, happening right now, unfortunately. You know, could, could, I, I ask a question? Could I ask a question, please? Sure. Yes. Okay, uh, Eli, I'm I wondering. You know, I traveled the whole muggy four times before I finally got 
a major majority of the family enrolled. And uh, they told me that I was, I forgot what it was, one-tenth or one-third or something they got on there, uh, Indian. And here's what I, I don't understand. My, uh, I have a grandmother who was born on the reservation from the Cher- a Cherokee chief. So we have that down. If one of his wives or something was an African-American. And then uh, I remember my grandfather who had this role. I'm thinking about how can they uh, classify the blood when you can look at your role and find out that there's possibly more Creek blood on your role than there is African-American blood on your role. Yeah, uh, but well, here's, here's, here's their brother. The, the whole blood quantum uh, theory that the U.S. introduced to tribes, you got to remember, it's based on a German genetics theory that a white man from Europe is 100% intelligent. Any mixture of that white male from Europe with, let's say, Negro ancestry, he becomes less intelligent. Any mixture of that white male from Europe with Indian ancestry, he becomes less intelligent. So when, you know, the great white father in Washington, D.C. in 1906 was looking at this, he was looking at, okay, full blood. He wasn't looking at the way we look at it today. And back then he was looking at, okay, full blood. That means that person is completely stupid. You know, half blood means, and if the other half was white, mean that that person was half intelligent. You know, in the case of the freedmen, they didn't put any blood down because being Negro made you completely stupid to them. You know, and unfortunately, we still try to promote that mess today, and that is a big mess. I'm one of the biggest advocates, you know, there is to the BIA ending the blood quantum system. You know, you're not one quarter of American. You know, you're not, you know, there's no such thing as that. You know, you're an American citizen. You know, no matter what your race is, no matter what your religion is, you were born here, you're an American. It's the same way with tribes. You, you, if you're born into the tribe, you know, you're supposed to be Creek, not one-half Creek, not full-blood Creek, not any of that, because Creek is just a political society. It's not a race. It's not an ethnic group. And to divide it up based on blood quantum, you're only buying into that colonization mentality from that old good old white boy in Washington, D.C., who applied that mess back in the day. You know, and... I, you know, so I, you know, I when people start wanting to tell me they want to increase their blood quantum because they found Grandma the Princess on the road, I just look at them crazy. You know, I said, really, she's a full blood? That means that Uncle Sam in D.C. was saying she was completely stupid. That's what that meant to him. Okay. So, I got uh, so brother, you're a creek. You have your creek citizenship. You're a creek. You shouldn't let somebody define you based on your race. You know, your race, you know, in the tribe, in our language, you would be called with Les Chavi. Do you speak any Creek? I don't speak okay. a word of Creek. I've been trying okay, to well, let me, let me upgrade you just a little bit. We, we have our own tongue. You know, we have our own language, and we have our own ways of saying things, which don't really translate into English very well. 
You know, okay. and one of the things that don't translate into English very well is when you talk about blood quantum. When you say Stiati in Creek, that's referring to another Indian person. You know, when I say Esti Muskogee or Muskogee, I'm talking about a Creek person or the Creek Nation. And I'm not, when I refer to you, if, I, if you come to Tulsa and I introduce you as my cousin, and I say, yeah, he's Stiati. You know, that's telling them that, yeah, he's another tribal member. You know, I'm not saying you're black, you're white, you're red, you're any of that. I'm telling people you're Creek. Right. You know, so, what and, does, and, so what does Muskogee, what does the Muskogee mean? Because I know that's a city. I know that's No, also, no, no. Muskogee is is us. We are Muskogee. Creeks is what they the Americans call us. That's what the British called us. We've always called ourselves Muskogee. That's our language. That's our culture. That's our people. And then the Creeks themselves, they're divided up basically into, uh, at statehood, 48 different bands that made up the Creek Nation or the Muskogee Nation. You know, Now, the town of Muskogee in Oklahoma is just a town that's named for the Muskogee Nation. It has nothing to do with, with it other than it's just a name. Like Okamugie, it's actually named for our ancient uh, capital that's, you know, located in Okamugie, you know, the Okamugie Mounds down in the deep south. You know, Tulsa, for example, is named for one of our bands, Tulsa Tribal Town. We call it Little River Tulsa. You know, but the city of Tulsa is named for that. The city of Coweta is named for Coweta Tribal Town, which is one of the bands in our tribe. Um, you guys are Nero descendants, right? Yeah. Well, Nancy Nero was a Tuskegee. She was a Tuskegee tribal town member, meaning the band, the political band, just like the states make up the United States, the, the Creek Nation, the Muskogee Nation, is made up of 48 bands. One of those bands happened to be Tuskegee Tribal Town. And we refer to our bands as tribal towns. The Seminoles refer to their bands as bands, you know, like that. But in the Creek Nation, we say tribal town. That's why if you're at the tribe, oftentimes somebody would say, well, what's your tribal town or what's your ceremonial ground? Well, in your case, you would say Tuskegee. You know, mm-hmm. my, my ancestors were Tuskegee tribal town. And, and, of course, that has nothing to do with the Tuskegee Airmen or Tuskegee Alabama who actually is named for that ancient tribe, you know. So Oh, that's you know. so interesting. Hey, you know what? We've got a caller. Let's see what our caller said. Oh, wait a second. Hello there, caller. You're on Straight Talk Live. State your name and do you have a question for our guest today? Oh, hi. This is Moni Law in Berkeley, California. And I'm actually not Creek, but had um, Choctaw relatives. So I'm just listening in. I'm just oh, listening wonderful. in. I didn't have a question. Well, it, it, it's a privilege to have you on. Thank you for joining us tonight. And so, um, Mr. Eli Grayson is quite a historian. Um, is there um, a question that you might have for him? Or are you listening at this moment? I'm just listening in at this moment. My family's from Mississippi, Choctaw, and um, so I'm just listening in and have an That's interest in the topic. My mother is actually, uh, her ancestor is Mississippi, Choctaw. I grew up mm-hmm. in Jackson, Mississippi. So. Oh. Oh, okay, my okay. friend, Macomb. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Great. That's wonderful. Thank you, and continue to listen with that. Okay, so I have a question. So now, 
we have, and we thank you, uh, Moni Law, for uh, being there for us here in Berkeley, and she's a, an advocate and a legal counsel for um, uh, the NAACP, and it's been wonderful working with her and having her as a friend to the show. We thank her for tuning in. Now, she says that she is shocked off. So she's gotten this information in her family from the grandmother, from the grandfather. Right. What does a person do when they have bits and pieces? Now, in my case, yep. my father received a check from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and he had stories, he had a dance, he had a, a words that he would say, and he was from Okmulgee. Um, and he was born in 1915. Uh, so he was a lot closer to the source, if I could say that. Yeah, you're, well, you're, he, you're hitting on the nail. Yeah, and, and, and see what it is. You know, um, I, I speak at a lot of schools and a lot of universities. And I remember speaking at Jackson State University in Mississippi, actually. And there were some Choctaw, enrolled Choctaw students in the room. And, you know, what I could tell them, I can't tell them my mother is Mississippi Choctaw because she's not. The only way you could be a Mississippi Choctaw is the Mississippi, you know, Choctaws recognize her as a tribal member and she meets their constitutional citizenship requirements. But I can say my mother has Mississippi Choctaw ancestry and actually can prove it. You know, so the same way with the with the Creek Nation, you know, you hear a lot of people, oh my God, that say, Oh yeah, I'm Creek too and then you say, Well, you know, what's your tribal town, what's your clan, whatever, whatever, you know, you talk a little Creek to them, they're they're like, Well, oh I don't know, it's just something my folks said and they're actually from you know, from um you know, Arizona or or wherever. And so, and you say, well, are they from Oklahoma? You know, like that. You know, and then they say no and on and on. And you can kind of break down the story that a lot of stuff is just folklore. You know, stuff that somebody said and it just passed on. Grandma got hot cheeks and she looked like an Indian and so it just passed on. And in this classroom in, in at Jackson State, I had a whole lot of students tell me that their um, their grandma or great grandma or whoever was Blackfoot. Oh yeah, my grandma was Blackfoot, and you know those of us at the Creek Nation, you know, that's into our history and on and on that know the tribes from the Deep South, from Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia originally. No, there were no Blackfoots down there, you know. And what we do know, and that what we do have you know, on recorded documents, particularly slave receipts from the tribe, is that word. And unfortunately, the term Blackfoot was, in in many cases, maybe not in all cases, but in many cases, was a reference that white plantation owners gave to slaves who had been purchased from the Indians. And it was a derogatory term to separate Oh, okay, this is a Negro that came off the auction block straight off the boats or from some white plantation in, you know, Virginia compared to a Creek slave who was sold back into slavery. And the the auctioneer is saying, well, that's one of those Indians Negro. And this is one of the white man's Negro. And so there was a terminology oh. made. 
That's a black what? foot. Okay, uh-huh. so all of a sudden, it, uh, you know, after hundreds, after a hundred years or two hundred years later, it took on its own nation. You know, now it's a tribe. You know, and everybody in Mississippi is a Blackfoot. You know, and they, I... they realize that in during the removal, you know, the Creeks owned slaves. You know, prior to the removal, they owned the land, they owned the slaves, on and on. And many of them have to pay their own way to Indian territory, or they could be marched off with the American soldiers. So many of them, particularly the slave owners, would slave sell some of their slaves to pay for transportation, to pay for rebuilding a home and, and new furniture and whatever, the trip. And those slaves went right back into the market among for the new white plantations that were being made in Alabama and Georgia after the creeks left. And so, you know, um, that's unfortunately, wow. that's not talk. You know, we know it at the tribe, you know, and we kind of tell people, when they come in and say something, you know, and we just kind of go, you know, really, you know, if your folks are not from Montana or, or Canada, they're not Blackfeet, you know. And Blackfeet really is a, in Mississippi and Alabama, was a derogatory term used by white plantation owners to classify a Indian's Negro compared to a, a white man's Negro. And I'm not being offensive. Don't get me wrong. I'm just using the terms that they used back in the day to try to explain to us today, you know, kind of, you know, try to make it make sense today. I want to go to to Rodney. Rodney, did you have a question, Rodney Beth? Well, no, you know, I've I've been, I've been really listening to, to the, to the, um, the entire discussion and there was a time when I was in high school when we first put black history in the school systems back in the in, in, in the late 60s, early 70s. There was a missing plug. And, and you know, my my class back in the, you know, we, we kept asking, what what is missing? How could just 13 states on one coastline develop a whole nation of slaves, and we kept asking. And when I got into college, I discovered exactly what this man is speaking about, about how the destruction of this 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 this, this nation of people. They started naming them, and if you look at the old westerns, you can really see it. You can see the the, the, the orientation of it, how they destroyed their culture, how they renamed them, and they took their land. But most importantly, what what has benefited me and what I'm what I'm really feeling a pride about listening to him is he's telling us people who came from Africa, people who came from another continent, there was a heritage that came with you. There was a heritage. There were people here that got the same treatment that you received. And that's what's missing out of the book that can't put the whole thing together. Why was Texas the last state to ratify, to let go slavery? The reason being is because many people migrated to Texas to try to see who was going to win that war. And, and, you know, I'm listening and I'm so impressed, and I wish there was a way, I wish there was a way that, 
the, the, the children of today could be fed this to get their curiosity elevated that we can change their learning habits to, to let them understand that the history of all man, not the history of your color, but the history of all man, woman on earth, is an important commodity. And, and, and I think if we can figure out a way to plug in this, this, this plug, man, I, I, I just think it's, I think it's renowning. I, I love you going to colleges, but I think if we can get it to the middle school kids and just start exciting their uh, curiosity, it, it might be a Yeah, you know, but like here in Tulsa, brother, we got the largest public school in Tulsa, the high school, is called the Union Redskins. You know, ah. and even though the five civilized tribes are in this area and we've sent them notice where we have resolutions from our tribal councils saying that Redskin is an offensive name. It meant dead Indian. It, mean, it meant murdered Indian, a $200 bounty for a Redskin paid for by a governor if you go out and kill this person. And, you know, I, I you know, my great-great-grandmother was a orphan on the Trail of Tears because her parents became redskins, you know. So, you know, their school mascot says that, you know, and we try to go and we say, you know, hey, that's offensive, blah, blah, blah. Yet we have Indian kids in there who scringe at it, you know. But, you know, white folks rule Oklahoma and you get what you get, you know. Hey, so, could, I say could I say something real quick, ask a question too real quick here? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Eli, there's, there's one thing I, I love what's happening tonight. It's fantastic. I just can't wait till I get there and sit down and talk to you. But uh, I called the BIA and talked to them. In Sacramento and, or Muskogee? No, I called the BIA in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And what I did was I wanted to find out uh, where – the money was going from the government to all the nation. And so when I asked them about it, they told me that they gave the uh, Creek Nation a yearly allotment and that the Creek Nation would uh, deal with the finances the way they and their board would see it. Mm-hmm. So when I called the Creek Nation and needed to get $5,000, and I told them I would pay them back, I was told that, one, you're in California, and two, if you was in Okmulgee or Oklahoma, it would be all right. We would give you a $5,000 one-time grant, and you wouldn't have to pay for it. What, so was, my, the grant, what was the money for? Oh, the money was for uh, housing. Okay. Listen, and then this goes to, unfortunately, it's probably a conversation that you and I should have privately because, you know, tribal governments are all different. They work different ways. But in the Creek Nation, you know, we have laws, we have codes, we have constitutions that we go by. Now, we also have nine casinos, and tribal funds are, are, are you know, are, are, you know, from these casinos provide – tribal services to our members. Now, federal dollars that come into the Creek Nation, whether it's Indian health care, Indian housing, is really restricted into the domain of the tribe. They can't 
go outside the tribe because they, if they go outside the tribe, they're encroaching on somebody else's domain. However, with tribal dollars, and there's a difference between tribal dollars and federal dollars. Federal dollars is from D.C. Tribal dollars are monies that we make ourselves, mainly off the casinos. Well, mm-hmm. if you read our codes, if you go to our website and we read our codes, you'll find, or just go to the Creek Nation website, you'll see services that are provided. Now, there is a $5,000 emergency fund, I should probably not be saying this on air, that's provided to each Creek right. member if they find themselves in some type of act of God emergency. Like in California, if there's a you know 6.0 that knocks your house down, well, you're entitled to that money because that's an act of God. Or if a hailstorm comes or a tornado comes or a fire or whatever, whatever is an act of God uh, in a natural disaster, and that's what it's called, natural disaster fund, then you are entitled to that $5,000 grant that comes from our casino funds. Now, our tribe does not do per caps, you know, like some of the tribes in California, they have per caps because they're teeny little bitty tribes. We have 80,142 creeks in row. You know, so we can't do a per cap. So instead, the tribal money goes into various programs and then is split up to higher education, to this, to that, to school clothes, to whatever, whatever it is, you know, and jobs and whatever, you know. And that's how they actually, um, um, you know, kind of help Creek people living in the Creek Nation and living outside the nation. You know, they're living in California you're still, you know, um, um, entitled to tribal funds, you know, services. You know, you're over 55, for example. And I can probably tell you, you don't even know about the uh, energy assistance programs that they give our elders who are 55 and older. No matter what their income is, you can make a million dollars, you can make a hundred bucks, you know. But every winter, they give them $400 to pay on their gas bill. Every summer, they give them $400 to pay on their utility bills. And you can live in Hawaii and get that money, you know. So, but it's, it's one of those things, if, you know, if you're not in the mix, you don't know. Or if you don't have somebody screaming it, you know, in your family saying, hey, you know, Brother Bob, this is what you need to do or whatever, you know, then you don't know unless you get on the Internet and just kind of go through each of those icons on the Creek Nation website to figure out what's available for elder, you know. So, you mm. know, you, you, you got to look at, at and, and, and I'm only going to say this from the Creek Nation perspective because, you know, like I said, I can't talk about what's going on in France right now because I'm not French. I can't talk about what's going on <laughs> in the Cherokee Nation because I'm not Cherokee. You know, right. but in the Creek Nation – your citizenship is equal to everyone else's citizenship. We don't have any super creeks, you know. So you're just like in 1906, when the you know from 1898 to 1906 during the Dawes and Roman days, if you were a 10-minute-old baby born April 25th, 1906, at 11:30 at night, 30 minutes before the cutoff date, you got 160 acres of land. If you were a 110-year-old chief who walked the Trail of Tears, who fought in the Civil War and the Green Peach War, part of the Snake Rebellion, on and on, guess what? You got 160 acres of land, you know, no different than a 10-minute-old black Freeman baby, 
you know, because citizenship was based on equality, on, on having an equal stake in the tribe. And, Barbara, your stake in the Creek Nation as a citizen is the same as the chief, is the same as the speaker of our council, is the same as, as any full blood. It is the same. You know, there's no difference in it. And you, you have to empower you. yourself to know your own tribe's laws and codes and, and constitution. So when somebody feeds you a bunch of crap, you just look at them crazy and, you know, go creek on them. I, I love it. Well, listen, everybody, you're listening to Straight Talk with the Higher Tribe. And uh, this is uh, brought to you by www.c25cl.com, where you can order music, download music. You can uh, order books. You need to go there and look and see and link up. See us at CBS uh, yesterday for the African American Heritage uh, Month uh, um, beautiful soiree that they put together. We thank them again. And right now we're listening to Mr. Eli Grayson, who is historian for the Creek Nation. Um, now, everybody... I, I, wait a minute, let's clarify, sir. I don't work for the Creek Nation. Oh, no, you we know you don't. Okay, we know you yeah. don't. You said for know. the Creek Nation. I just want to okay, make sure that none, none of those people calling saying Eli works for the Creeks. No, I don't. <laughs> exactly. Not exactly. today. No, we don't mean it that way, but what we do mean is that you have a wealth of knowledge, and we want people to be able to know this. Now, I will tell you, people want to know. They're hanging right now to know. Okay, so how do I access citizenship? Now, I know, as you said, each one is different. Uh, yeah. Each tribe is different. Uh, we talked a little bit about what my situation was with uh, my father receiving a check from the Indian Bureau of Affairs. And what we didn't speak on was the missing land. So now you talked about the 160 acres that everybody got in 106, 1906. But I just saw a document actually just today um, that you had placed that talked about where you've been digging and you've been able to find different um, uh, documents to support that the land is missing and was stolen from your grandmother. Yeah. Well, so, what happened about that? Okay, in the Creek Nation, just like Cherokee Nation is no different. Seminole Nation, same Choctaws, same situation. Um, the Congress passed various acts to basically dispossess people, uh, Indians or Indian citizens, you know, citizens of the Creek Nation, Choctaw Nation, of their lands after they received their allotments. And they did it with the slickest and kindest, you know, way of the way white Congress members back in the day did, you know, looking out for their own. And what they did, and this is where blood quantums came into play and why there are blood quantums on the roads. They, and you can go and read the Stickler Act of 1947 and kind of understand the picture. And there's various acts prior to that up, up, up until 1907, from from 1947 back, where first all the lands were, uh, it was 160 acres in the Creek Nation. 40 was homestead, 120 was surplus. So what they were saying then was that you could sell your surplus to the new arriving Oklahomans, you know, if you want to, but you couldn't sell your 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 homestead, the 40 acres. You know, well, they then they have changed that law, you know, and then they took all the restrictions off specifically for the freedmen, particularly the black people, you know, 
and basically told the white man, you can you can go in and con them out. And, you know, I hate to say this word, but this is a word that people need to understand that they used back in the 1910s and the 1920s, 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it was a terminology that was used during the day by speculators and oil and gas people. And it was called niggerizing. And I'm going to say it again, niggerizing. And what that was, was when some oil and gas guy would show up, and he would have in his pocket $500. He would have $400 rolled up in $1 bills, and then he'll wrap it with $100 bill. And so, particularly in the 1930s in Oklahoma during the Great Depression, $500 was a lot of money. You know, and dusty land wasn't feeding nobody. You know, it had oil and gas underneath it, but it wasn't worth anything. You know, so what they would do is go sit in front of the, the you know, the allottee or the heir to the allotment and basically say, you know, hey, we want to buy your, your homestead, you know, whatever. And they would say, no, you know, grandma told us never to sell this. This is our Indian land. We can't sell this. We cannot, blah, blah, blah. Well, they'll put right. out that $500. And if you are hungry, you know, and you, you're thinking you're looking at a wad of $100 bills, and that's all you're looking at is a $100 bill on top of $400 in ones, you sign your name. And that's how they got most of the land. That was just a term. Now, I know we, we're on the radio. We shouldn't be saying that. But that's just historical reference. And that's what happened. You know, so in the case of my own great grandmother, Susan Grayson, she's a full blood. Her her land was never supposed to be taken out of restriction based on her blood quantum. But instead, she died in 1903 before statehood. Her kids were never told she had allotment. She had seven kids, you know, and they were not one of them were told, you know, they Susan died. Their mother died, but she also received an allotment. The allotments meant that you had to be living between 1898 and, and 1906, where she was living up until 1903. and 1906. Yeah, so she got 160 acres, and the, and the DOS Commission never informed the family, never told them where it was. But they did assign a trustee over it, you know. We call it a guardian. And this guardian, instead of, you know, telling the family, hey, we need to probate this out, or divide the land up to the heirs or whatever they need to do, he just passed it down to his kid who passed it down to their kid. And eventually in 1974, uh, the daughter, granddaughter of this man decided to probate it and then put my parents' names, my, my father's name down, his siblings, cousins, on and on, all the heirs of Susan Grayson's down on this probate document in 1974, printed it in the Henrietta newspaper, and to your radio host, black folks in 1974 was not reading Henrietta newspaper or Indian people, you know, so they would have not known about this probate, but she did it. And so when we found out about it, which was beyond 30 years, Oklahoma had already passed in law that any land issue that's over 30 years old cannot be challenged in court. So here we are, knowing the truth about the crap that happened, we can't bring a lawsuit because the state won't allow us to do it. So what I've been advocating to the Creek Nation, and really 
the uh, five civilized tribes council because it happened in all the tribes with you know nearly everybody is to bring a class action lawsuit against the Department of Interior for not protecting the rights of these Indian citizens, and that would include the freedmen because you know the word Indian in the United States in law according to the High Court means anyone who's a citizen of a federally recognized tribe. You know, it ain't got nothing to do with your race, your sex, your sexual orientation, or anything. If you're a citizen of that tribe, you are classified as an Indian. It is a legal term. Now, that's oftentimes confused with the race North American Indian. But we're not talking about the same thing because Mexicans are called North American Indians, and so are First Nation people in Canada. You know, but Creeks, those of that enrolled are called Indians because they're members of a federally recognized tribe. Anyway, so long story, I think the tribe should sue the crap out of the federal government for not protecting the rights of people who they knew the laws in Congress was, were made to take their land away. They knew the new state mm. of Oklahoma, when they you know, start passing all those Jim Crow laws off the books, knew it was directed at you know, dispossessing people of their land. And the Indian citizens, and that would be Freeman including, were the landowners, you know. So I want to I wanna take this moment. I want to go to Moni Law. Moni, did you have a question? I know that you have uh, a little bit more insight now, and I know that also that you have uh, a history of fighting for the rights of people. What, what, is your, what is your thoughts about this, about missing land, missing allotments, taking – Land. What, what, it's not what, missing. The land never left. It's just <laughs> stolen. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so my limited knowledge, although I did some um, Indian law in Washington State, I was enrolled as a um, an attorney in tribal court. The Yakima Nation and the bands of the tribal uh, uh, government of the Yakima Nation in eastern Washington a number of people successfully sued. Uh, there's a decision called the Bolt Decision for the right of fishing in right. the river, Columbia. Mm-hmm. You know, they're guaranteed by the treaty rights that were being denied and restricted. And also, there are plenty of lawsuits that have been filed successfully. They take years and years to finally uh, culminate into justice. But they're worthwhile. I, I really appreciate that suggestion um, that he just made with regard to that. I think it's worthy. I should also clarify that I'm not legal counsel for the NAACP, so just to do another correction, as um, your speaker said earlier, for his identity, I am a lawyer who practiced in Washington State for 25 years, and I don't currently practice. I work in Berkeley, but I'm uh, looking to take the bar in California, so I will get my license here as well as in Washington State to activate that again. But so having been a litigator for 25 years, I do see the value of litigation in terms of restoring legal rights. So it's, it's a good path to take. It's just costly, time-consuming, and uh, very challenging, but worthwhile. And in, in, in the Creek Nation, the problem, they, they know that we should do this. Even in the, you know, with the Cherokees, Choctaws, they know there should be a class action. The problem, though, is that they can't do it without the freedmen, you know. And because these tribes have basically disenfranchised their black citizens, and now they, they really, to bring this lawsuit, you have to bring it together. That's one of the reasons it hasn't taken place. After all these years, 
That's the number one reason they haven't done anything about it. Because the only way they wow. can sue the federal government is that they have to represent the freedmen. And for them to represent the freedmen, they have to recognize the true history with the freedmen. You know, instead mm-hmm. of excluding them, they have to be included, you know. And, you know, and you know, like in the Cherokee Nation case, the Cherokee freedmen sued the Department of Interior to, to basically say, hey, the Cherokee Nation is not honoring our 1866 treaty rights. Well, the freedmen couldn't sue the Cherokee Nation because the courts have said they're sovereign. You can't sue them. So the freedmen sued the DOI, the Department of Interior, and said, mm-hmm. then you sue them. So they won that position, and then the Obama administration and Eric Holder was you know, head of the Justice Department. They took the case and sued the Cherokee Nation on behalf of the freedmen. When the Seminole Nation kicked out its Seminole Freedmen, the Seminole Freedmen sued the Department of Interior to sue for their 1866 treaty rights. Bill Clinton was president at the time. Well, they won that case, and the Seminole Nation, well, the Department of Interior sued the Seminole Nation, and the Seminole Nation had to start enrolling and recognizing their freedmen citizens. Well, there's never been a lawsuit dealing with the freedmen issue in the Creek Nation. There's never been a lawsuit dealing with the Choctaw Nation. I'm talking about the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, dealing with this freedmen. And what's interesting about the Choctaw, this is so bizarre, is that in the 1950s, the Choctaw Nation and their treaty agreement were to be paid for freeing their slaves back in the 1860s. For every you know Negro that was freed in the Choctaw Nation and Chickasaw Nation, the federal government had to give them money. You know, like, like, you know, hey, we lost this property. You got to pay us for it. Well, they, you know, the government didn't pay, you know, but it was in the treaty agreement. Guess what? The Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma sued the federal government for that money. And in the 1950s, they were paid for freeing their black people 100 years after the fact. And in 1982, they decided to kick their freedmen out of the tribe after they had been paid for each one of them. You know? Wow. So, I mean, it's a very complex story. It's a very complex history. You can't tell it in an hour, you know, unfortunately. And you can't tell it by, by putting everybody in the same pot because the Choctaw Treaty and Chickasaw Treaty is different from the Creek Nation Treaty. And the Seminole Treaty is different from the, from the Cherokee Treaty. Though all of them deal with their slaves, the, the languages are different they're in, in those agreements, in those treaty agreements, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I, I have a question for you. So just recently um, I was uh, having a nice breezy Sunday afternoon, and I happened to go to Facebook, and <clears throat> there it was. You know, I saw these tombstones, and they were out in this, you know, field. that was like very barren, nothing out there, just a feel, you know, and I kind of ignored it for a moment, but it was just really burning to me. So finally I went back and I really investigated. And when I saw that you had made a journey to see William and Nancy Nero's tombstones and you had pictures, I was overwhelmed. I, You know, they're on my, they're my great, great, great grandparents. And there they were, their tombstones. Tell us a little bit about that day, if you don't mind terribly. 
Well, um, you know, William and Anthony were my great great grandparents too. We just <laughs> which which one of their children you descend from? I don't quite remember. Oh, let me see. I think I have it right here. Was it Alice or something like I that? Will, I will tell you right now. Okay, well, so William, it was Mary. Mary okay, Mary. Hero. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, they had a brother. She had a brother named Governor, and Governor is my great grandfather. Well, I knew uh, where the cemetery was. It was called Fishertown Cemetery. That was actually established in 1839, I think. It was one of the first, it was North Fork Town, which was a trading village uh, in the Creek Nation after the removal. When the Creek Nation started to rebuild its nation in Indian Territory, they had all these trading posts, and one of them was called North Fork, and it was on the Canadian River. So um, uh, William Nero, who was actually the son of a Seminole chief named Governor Nero. And and if you go to any of those Florida University sites and put up, you know, Google in, you know, Governor Nero, Nero Fort, Nero Town, and it'll talk about Nero, who was the head man of this town, who was a Seminole, that's William's father, you know. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so William had, you know, Creeks and Seminoles back in the day, they have up to five, six wives, you know, and that was just tradition back in the day. And he had, he had several Creek wives and several um, Seminole wives. And back in that, in those days, there was no difference between the Creeks and the Seminoles. They were the same people. You know, the Creeks and the Seminoles officially separated as a nation in 1848. Um, it's called the Creek-Seminole Treaty. And so, but back then he had, uh, you know, he had a wife that was um, a Kawita, and he had a wife that was, uh, you know, Fajiti, uh, um, who was a Seminole, blah, blah. He even had a, a wife who was a slave. And William Nero, I mean, Governor Nero, though he was considered Moroccan and Indian mix, he owned African slaves himself. And so... Uh, anyway, during the removal of First Seminole Wars, all of that, he was forced to Indian Territory with the Creeks. And, of course, he brought his son, William. William married a uh, Tuskegee uh, tribal town member named Nancy Scott Gooden. And, um, um, you know, and and there you go. And they had a store. And this is interesting. There's a, on the Oklahoma Historic Society website, there's information about the old Norfolk village. And they talk about William Nero being part black, you know, and having a stagecoach company and having a trading post and a cemetery and a school in Norfolk village. And everybody around him was Indian and white, but he was living like everybody else, you know. And this was back in the 1840s, you know. So anyway, when the Civil War broke out, of course, he took his family with Obitili Yahola to Kansas to, you know, basically run away from the war. And when he came back, he uh, he died in 1872. And so there's a lake there um, that covers Norfolk Village. You can't go there anymore because Lake Eufaula has been created by the Corps of Engineers, and the town is underneath the lake. So what the Corps of Engineers did 
they moved the markers. They couldn't move the graves because they were, you know, probably deteriorated. But the markers were there. So they moved them up on the side of a hill. And that Fishertown Cemetery is interesting. The first part of it was actually an old slave cemetery. And there are old slave markers out there, slaves that were owned by the Creeks. And that was the oldest part of the cemetery. And then you have a part where Confederate soldiers who had died fighting in the Civil War were buried there in the Battle of Honey Springs. And then you had other Indian people from North Fork Town, like William and Nancy Nero, who markers were moved to that, that cemetery. It's a fascinating – I like cemeteries because – when you you know you see so many historical documents relating to creeks and you see their names and you see what they do and you see lawsuits and on and on and then when you go to the cemetery and you actually can find the graves of people it's kind of fascinating and what's what's you know the reality is that's only like maybe two percent of creeks who died back then most creeks that died there's just a little rock put on the spot. That's it. And right. everybody knew through through storytelling, not writing it down, but through, you know, passing it down from, you know, parent to child and a story. This is where grandpa is buried. And so, unfortunately, a lot of that's forgotten after several hundred years, you know. But a lot of when you go to Fishertown cemeteries, you actually see little rocks. You know, little stones that are, you know, just little brown stones with no markings. But everybody knows that's a that's a great site, you know. And then on a lot of people allotments, you know, um, you know, people didn't have money in the twenties to bury their take their families to cemeteries and have them buried. They did what creeks used to do. They bury you in the backyard under the tree and put a rock. I, I love know? it. So why so, us a few names of the people that you're related to. So we talked about the Graysons, we talked about the Goodens, and there's Huttons, and who else we can put a shout out to that is in that lineage? Oh, uh, well, you know, there are 80,000 of us, you know, and, and you know, there's so many different names that make up the Creek Nation, you know. Back in the day, you know, during the removal period, yeah, there were 5,000, but today there's 80,000. There probably should be twice that many if they include the Freeman, you know. But you, you have Hardjells and Graysons and Chilakis and, and, you know, I mean, everything, you know. So that's just kind of and, – and, and the reality is – that you being a member of, or a descendant of Tuskegee Tribal Town, you're literally related to everybody that's in that tribal town. Because, you know, just like being a Jew, you, you're Jewish because your mother is Jewish. In the Creek Nation, you get your tribal town and your clan from your mother. You know, uh-huh. so it's not just given to you, and, and men can go out and pass clans out or pass political affiliation out. You can only be a member of Tuskegee Tribal Town because your mother was. For example, Governor Nero, uh, Mary's brother, was Tuskegee Tribal Town. He married my great-grandmother, who was Mary Sawanogi. She was actually Yafala Tribal Town. So 
their daughter, Mary, I mean, Fanny, my grandmother, tribal town, is not Tuskegee. It's Shufala. And so my father's tribal town is Shufala, you know. So that's how that, yeah. But everybody in Eufaula Canadian tribal town, I'm related to. Everybody in Tuskegee tribal town, I'm related to because I have ancestry to that, you know, or Kajabataga or Hijiti or any of those. So so tell us, tell us in closing, um, do you really think it's that difficult for people to really trace their ancestry? No, and it's I'm, not. And and on okay. the Internet, you know, what you do, if you're tracing it to the five civilized tribes, now I can't talk about what's going on in Washington State or tribes in Montana or Minnesota. I don't know. However, with the five civilized tribes, what you want to do is to, you know, look back on the U.S. population census, which starts in the 1940s. And find your grandmother or your, you know, your parents, and then find their parents. And then what you want to do is find them living in Indian territory in 1900, you know. And then, then you could tell if they're actually on the Dolls Roll or not, because on their on that U.S. population census, it's going to say Creek, Born Creek, Born Creek. It might say they were from Alabama if they were over 80 years old. You know, I mean, they were walking on a trail of tears, you know, but they were creek, you know, but uh, you want to you want to trace your ancestry back to the tribe itself and where the tribe is located, you know, not just somebody saying they're creek. You want to go take it back to the government itself. It's like if I want to trace my Scottish ancestry, I just don't say I have Scottish ancestry. I got to do the work and and eventually find the Grayson family in Edinburgh, Scotland, you know. So back to living in Scotland, you know. So with the Creeks, you find your ancestors back living to the Creek Nation. And those documents are available on most websites today, Fold3Ancestry.com. You know, the U.S. Archives is now online, and it's pretty much free, you know, on and on and on. The information is there online if you really want to find it. You know, you just got to ask your grandparents or your parents to talk. And if they don't talk, then then Google them, you know, find court records, you know, find information that they won't tell you. You know, most of the stuff I learned by my family didn't come from my father. You know, he come from that generation that didn't talk. You know, you 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 didn't talk about the old people, you know, and there are priests today that don't like you digging up the dead, you know. And that's how they reference that when you're talking about your ancestors. You're digging up the dead. You're bringing, you're bringing home the ghost, you know. And my fascination is that I believe in my DNA all of my ancestors are in me. And occasionally somebody speaks up. And it piques my interest and I, and I got to go read about them or, or, or rediscover them. And, you know, so that's, that's been that's my fascination. Beautiful. Wow, that's such a poetic way to put it, you know. I want to go back to every one of my guests. Uh, I want to to give you guys two minutes and the last question. I'm going to go with uh, Miss Moni Law. Did you you have a question to comment or two minutes to just kind of wrap up with Mr. Eli Grayson? Sure. I'd like to thank um, Mr. Grayson for his uh, presentation of information. I'm now inspired Mm -hmm. to pick up where my Uncle Melvin in Macomb, Mississippi, left off 
where he found my great-great-grandmother who was Choctaw, so I need to go further and explore that. And we do need to speak to people while they're still living. So while they're yet living, do talk to them. And I do have interviews from my grandparents in Mobile, Alabama, where I was born, and in Macomb, Mississippi. Yeah. So I just really appreciate this conversation. Have you uh, ever read the um, the what's called the uh, Mississippi Choctaw Denied Rose? And they were mainly black people who had Choctaw ancestry who the Dawes Commission, who was enrolling those people, uh, just said, no, you're not going to get enrolled because you've got black blood. And there's mm-hmm. roughly about 20,000, 25,000 people on that list who okay. could prove that they had Choctaw ancestry, though mm-hmm. they were part black. And the federal government clearly denied them, um, you know, in their case, 340 acres of land uh, mm-hmm. based on their African blood. And they're they're alone right there should be a, a federal lawsuit, but no one ever challenged it. It just did what it was, you know, and forget it's forgotten in history now. Well, wow. you've re- but you've resurrected it, and I appreciate that. And I will look that up, the Dawes Commission on Mississippi Choctaw. Thank you for that. I've, Absolutely, I, I do know that my aunt is. I, I want to give a shout out to my aunt Jean, who is a Sandifer from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, uh, she actually is, I think their um, their council house and government is in Ada, Oklahoma. So if is that she helps Chickasaw? Chickasaw is in Ada? Is that, am I No, confused? I think it's in Chickasaw, but Ada is where the Chickasaw Nation Hospital is. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Well, I'm a little... I'm a little, I'm a little uh, rusty, but I guarantee you this summer we're coming and we're going to get it all together. We're going to know everything we need to know about the Creek Nation. I, I want to go to uh, Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob, did you have a closing comment? Well, you know, everybody's been talking so much and it's been so beautiful. And Eli, I love you, man, and uh, God bless you for all the information you've given us by the family. I'll leave you with this. Uh, I would like to know, A, if I can get information from the nation, maybe in CDs or DVDs or books or anything on the language. I, Actually, uh, do you just go, do you have a cell phone, a smartphone or an iPhone? Yes, I'm on, yes. I'm on cell phone okay, just Okay, just go to your app store, you know, your marketplace store on your app on your phone, and put in Muskogee Language, M-V-S-K-O-K-E, download the language app. It's from the Creek Nation. It's free. And on there alone, there's 5,000 Creek words, you know, translations, phrases, all kind of stuff. Okay. I'll be speaking Creek tomorrow. Wait a minute. I'm going to go to that. But one more thing, too. Uh, I would like to see if we could get a group of the people to donate to clean that spot up. I'd be glad. Well, to no, the good news is that the Creek Nation, uh, I met with them last week. They're cleaning up Fishertown. The, they get money from the BIA to clean up uh, cemetery sites in okay. Indian country. And the Creek Nation, that, that, that cemetery, though, is owned by Fishertown, Inc., is still classified as an Indian cemetery. And the the federal government has sent prisoners out there to clean it up in the past. Uh, The tribe has actually cleaned it up several times, I've understood. 
there are locals in that area that have, plant, you know, actually burnt it out to burn the brush out so their homes won't get called a fire. It's, it's, oh, it's, it has this amazing view of the lake, you know, on the hillside. And unfortunately, on windy days, if it gets too dry, that hillside can easily catch a fire. And okay. um, so, but the tribe, the Creek Nation, told me last week they're sending a crew out there real soon, probably next week, and, um, and clean that up. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to get off the line, and hopefully, by the grace of God, man, I'm going to I'm going to give you a great big hug this summer. All right, brother. I look forward to seeing you. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pastor Bob. Okay, last uh, statement and question for you, Rodney Beth. Well, you know, I, I just have one question. Why yeah. is there no board games? Why are there no board games? And I think board games are, are just a, a, a complete, beautiful source of education. Why are there no board games to speak about what, you, what you're talking about? You know, we got like monopoly. Yeah. yeah. Teach us real yeah. estate. Trouble teach us how to count. Bingo teaches us our A, B, Cs, and our one, two, three. Yeah. Why are there no board games to support getting this education out? I I can't answer you that. You know, I do know that in my own tribe, we do teach our youth our 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 version of our history. You know. And some of it's not mentioned, like the Freedmen, some of it is, you know. And, you know, you you also got to understand that historically in Indian tribes, you, you know, history is taught through oral history, you know. It's passed down from mouth to ear, you know. And only recently since, you know, the Christians have taken over the continent that, uh, Indian languages have been put into writing, mainly so they can get a copy of the King James Bible. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you, you know, know, so but... now you know you you have that. We have a written language. We didn't have a written language prior to the removal. You know, so but here, our stories have always been passed down from mouth to ear. You know, but, no, and, but what I you know what what I'm saying though is. You're telling me the tradition of mouth to ear, but you got casinos. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Give me don't a, don't get me no, wrong, no, no, brother. No, no, I'm all no, about evolving no, and upgrading. You know, no. tribes have the ability to create new traditions, and I agree with you. There should be board games. There should be things happening. But but like I said, what you don't see. Because unless you're living in the Creek Nation, we do teach our kids. Right. We just don't teach American kids. That's the difference. You don't teach your kids. What I'm saying is with with all the new technology that's out there, free free us. Mm -hmm. Give us what what we've been missing. And I I don't – see, here's the thing. You never know who's on the other end of the line. Right. And that's an idea of and, creating a cre- creating a yeah. casino game that makes well, you well, get Well, let me win, let me know? tell you the other part of this, you know, that Americans need to understand. We don't trust Americans. We don't mm-hmm. trust Americans with our history, 
with our language, with our stories, with our religions, because we got 500 years of bull, you know, crap to prove that every time we try to show you a way, we got burned. So in the end, you know, a lot of this mistrust, particularly with the elders, you know, when, when they see outsiders coming into our ceremonial grounds, with cameras and and recorders and things like that, they go whoa, you know. Mm-hmm. Mainly, is and it's not to be offensive. It's not that we don't want you to know, but there are right. ways that the creeks do it, you know. And it comes from 500 years of every time we thought this is the better way the white man is showing us, we lost out in the end. Look, 99 percent of the land we owned in 1906, we don't own today. Because the right. white man had a better way. Right. And could I, could I suggest one thing on that point for cultural education, that people actually take proactive steps as well to teach our kids, black kids, to go to powwows. I go to a lot of ceremonial events. I've been invited in, so that is a very important point, to be sensitive to elders and traditions and customs. You sort of have to know the terrain a little bit, or at least be respectful and ask as you enter. But yeah. they're open, and they're around the country. It's the powwow circuit. You'll learn a lot about dance styles and different customs and drums, and it's a, uh, a good opening to meeting culture. I met a band of black people who were Choctaw in full regalia that were dancing in the powwow circle in Berkeley, California, at a powwow about two years ago. Yeah, I, I, I know about that group. Well, <laughs> oh, you, you know, oh, here's, well, the, you know. here's the deal. Okay. The creeks don't powwow. We don't have that in our culture. And see, that goes right. back to, I don't know what France does, you know. And so when we see creeks playing around in a powwow, you know, our old folks raise their eyebrow, like, what are you doing? Because yeah. that's not our culture. You know, we have ceremonial grounds that are based on our religion. And it's not based on a show and tell and somebody's going to win a prize at a dance. These are actual dances that they do because they're worshiping Ofunga, which is our God, our creator. And so when in our ceremonial grounds, it's like going to your church. You know, there are things that you do at your church. When you go to our ceremonial grounds, those are religious experiences, but they're based on the Muscogee religion. Now, yeah. the Creeks don't powwow, but the Cherokees powwow, you know. So if you're learning Cherokee history and what Cherokees do, you go and have a good time because they're open mm-hmm. to everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, you know, but in saying that, I did see some some Lestati, um Creeks there powwow and, and a lot of Creeks who were looking at that, particularly at UCLA, were going, what are they doing? You know, mm-hmm. because that's what we've been taught to say. You know, that that we don't do that. You know, you want to dance around the fire. We don't dance to a drum. We dance to turtle shells and we dance around a fire, you know, and, you know, because the center of our religion is the fire, you know, it's the sun. And so when the drums, all those things like that, that you see at powwows, you don't see them at Creek ceremonial grounds. The women were... Yeah, but you see drums at traditional uh, religious spaces like the Longhouse in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so that, said, that, yeah. That, yeah, that goes back to France. That's what I'm saying. Tribes have different religions. They right. have different yeah. gods. And the Creeks, yeah. 
they their worship is very different from most tribes, you know, and so um, you know, they, so that their go again, um, you know, there are there are intertribal powwows mm-hmm. uh, that happen, and they have their rules and things like that. But rarely would you see a traditional Muscogee person dancing in one of those uh, powwows. You just don't. Mm-hmm. Know. I see. Well, yeah. everybody, we're we're at the bewitching hour, <laughs> and so I just want to thank T Two Five CL for giving us this opportunity. Everybody, I uh, implore you to go to the website www.t25cl and have a chance to. Download some music and uh, just edify yourself with some of the movies and uh, United We Stand, the things that we're working on diligently to serve you entertainment. Uh, I want to thank my uh, wonderful co-host, Mr. Rodney Bass. Pre-board game. Yes, 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 I'm with it. And I want to thank Pastor Bob for coming on and uh, with those riveting questions. And I want to also thank Ms. Moni Law for joining us. It's been a privilege and she's edified us with uh, her wonderful experiences and we thank you and we ask you to come back and sit in the penthouse again and enjoy some of our guests. And to you, Mr. Eli Grayson, we thank you for your time, your energy, and your wealth of knowledge and understanding about the Creek Nation, uh, Muskogee uh, Creek Nation. And so we look forward to hearing from you again with another great report. Everybody, I challenge you to get out there and find out what your ancestors are saying. Just to coin the phrase of what Mr. Eli Grayson said is, he is a culmination, he believes, of all of his ancestors. And every once in a while, one or two will pop up and speak. And it is his duty to find out who they are and record that in history and pass that to all his loved ones, family, and friends. We thank you all. Thank you again, Eli. And uh, to all, have a good night. All Thank right. you. Bye-bye. All right. Good night. Good night. Or down, Bye. big. Bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.